before we get going with episode 76, a word from our friends at Monmouth Park. With full fields and big payouts, Monmouth Park has returned as a place to profit. Monmouth's Friday Night Twilight cards are the perfect place to build that weekend bankroll. Live action from Monmouth Park begins at 5 o'clock Eastern every Friday. Weekend action at Monmouth Park begins at 12.15 every Saturday and Sunday, kicking off the 50-cent win-early pick five. Start your weekend days with a bang by playing the 15% takeout win-early pick five every Saturday and Sunday. It's one of the nation's first pick fives every weekend. It's big fields, competitive racing, and big paydays at beautiful Monmouth Park Racetrack. Now, episode 76. What's happening? Welcome into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter. At Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, August the 2nd, 2021. It is episode 76 of the program. Thank you for those of you who have been along from the beginning, and thank you to those of you who are new to the show. If you are new to the show, there are many ways to find the podcast. If you're someone who just likes to listen to the audio, whether it's on your phone or your computer or whatever it may be, you have Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and the moneypodcast.com, just to name a few. If you're someone who likes to watch along, over on YouTube, all you need to do, search bar, Matt Bernier Show, you get this episode along with the 75 prior. This is going to kind of be an old school Monday recap show. And it's not going to be all the stakes races from Saratoga and Del Mar over the past handful of days. But it's going to be races I think are going to have or could potentially have Breeders' Cup implications. So I'm not going to go over the Bowling Green. No disrespect to Cross Border. He loves Saratoga. It's a great win for everybody involved with him. But I don't know that I look at him and think he's a Breeders' Cup turf kind of runner. And really, for that matter, the rest of that field, they they kind of felt like they were the, the notch below the domestic spendings and the Colonel Liams of the world. Um, and I'm going to touch on the grade one out at Del Mar from Saturday, the Bing Crosby, and why it may have Breeders' Cup ramifications, but not necessarily in a positive light. So the races we're going to cover, the Jim Dandy, the Amsterdam, the Bing Crosby, the Vanderbilt, the Clement L. Hirsch, and a wild card, the Victoria from, oh, is it the Victoria? No, it's not the Victoria, you dummy. It is the Victoria. Ah, I'm so silly, so silly. Got to go with your gut instinct. I had it written down correctly. The Victoria from Woodbine. Because that, to me, is the most intriguing performance of the entire weekend. We'll dive into those races, uh, give you some opinions and some thoughts about some runners to maybe keep an eye on, keep tabs on as we continue on throughout the summer and we get into the early fall, hopefully leading into the Breeders' Cup World Championships down at Del Mar the first week in November. From a Friday feature standpoint, there won't be one this week. I had reached out to, there were two folks who correctly identified Dynamic One in Friday's Curlin. And no, the Curlin won't be covered here. I think it was a pretty decent race, though. Dynamic One earned a 96 buyer speed figure. You would have to think the Travers is on deck for him. I'm not going to go over that race, but the two folks who correctly identified the winner... Uh, I tried to reach out to the one who won the random draw. That was the uh, username on YouTube, jsir42, and also our good friend Howard Kravitz. Now, I was thinking about reaching out to Howard when I didn't hear anything back from jsir42, but I know Howard is out on vacation on the West Coast. Uh, he spends some time in the Pebble Beach area, and I wasn't going to bother him. 
so Howard, if you're listening to this, that's why I didn't reach out as sort of a, a last second try to cram you in because Sir 42 won the coin flip. But having said that, hopefully we can get both of you involved into next week's show, whether it's a joint segment or we kind of just do two separate versions of that. What was I? Elbow something on the desk, um, which needs just a complete overhaul. My desk is a mess right now, but... I feel like most people's desks that they work from kind of a disaster. Um, hopefully, we can get both of these individuals on next week's show, and we'll get back into the Friday feature. Um, I, I just think it's, uh, you know, again, I, I could have reached out to Howard, but I didn't want to bother on his vacation. Uh, and JSIR42, whoever you may be, uh, send me that email, bernier.matt89 at gmail.com. Shoot me a note. I'll respond. We'll try to set something up for next Monday and... Uh, We'll figure out what kind of races you guys want to talk about because you guys will be the ones really in charge of that sort of thing. So uh, we'll go on with that. But as I stated at the top, this is going to be an old school version of the show, going back and looking at some big races from this past weekend. Luckily, we've got some replays we can take a look at through YouTube. May not give you the entire replay. Maybe I'll just pick things up at at certain points that I think are noteworthy and run it through from there. But those are going to be the six races we talk about coming up here, and we'll kick things off with... Um, I think you could say the leader in the division of the classic division, that being essential quality in his return to the races in the Jim Dandy at Saratoga on Saturday. Jim Dandy at Saratoga on Saturday. It was all about essential quality. I'm going to buzz through the replay a few different times and just kind of scrub it. If you're watching along over on YouTube, if you're just listening, you'll just hear me riff for a bit here. Uh, This is the story of the race right here. It's a five-horse field. Essential quality is wide every step of the way. They go into the first turn. And by the way, this video, the essential quality Jim Dandy victory is found over on Naira's YouTube channel. They upload all their stakes action. They do a great job with that. It's a great thing that more tracks should do. Many of them are starting to get involved, but Naira has been at the forefront of this for some time. Uh, kudos to all of them. It, it's really just an invaluable resource for, for handicappers and, and gamblers. But again, you see nothing Luis Saez could do here. I mean, look, they're, they're going a, a fair clip early on. You either gas the horse early to try to clear, which is not really his game, or you just content to say, you know what, we're going to find our position and just settle in and, and, and try to work something out here and hope that we're just better than everyone else. They do start picking the pace up down the backside as I further this thing along. You're going to see 47 and two for a half. I think that's very reasonable for this level. Um, these aren't necessarily grade one runners. I'd call this a grade. I mean, it's a grade two. And I think that's probably apt, you know, with the exception of essential quality, everyone else is sort of a, a fringe one, more likely a two. Um, so the, the fractions I don't have a problem with, I think they're well within reason for this distance at this level, but this is when the race is really going to start to heat up going into the far turn. They clicked off that 47 and two. Now you're going to see the three quarters is going to go up in 11 and change here momentarily. And that's, I think uh, that's really when things start to, to cook. And you see Luis Saez is really asking essential quality at this point for a moment. I'm thinking, boy, he's not really, you know, loving life. He's just not picking his feet up. I, I think this is going to be a deceivingly good race for a number of reasons. We're about to hit the top of the lane. He's all out on the far outside. Meanwhile, keep me in mind, beautiful ride from Joel down to the inside and really has a full head of steam. This is a horse who I have not been high on really at any point in his career. I thought he ran really well here. Now, he did have the better of two trips 
and he still couldn't beat a central quality, but it's really not fair. I don't think to compare these two horses. Um, this, this was certainly a step in the right direction, I think, for keep me in mind. And I thought it was a brilliant performance. I really did from essential quality. No, it may not have been the gaudy speed figure and it may not have looked visually sensational, but when you factor this piece in specifically, this is over on Naira's site, naira.com. You can pull up Trackus and take a look at the feet traveled by each entrant in the race. And you're going to note that essential quality traveled 38 feet more than keep me in mind. I'm going to ballpark that and say, maybe it's not quite five lengths, but it's somewhere in that vein. I'd say between three and five, uh, someone who is a pure mathematician would be able to crank that out and actually get you a, a proper number. I'm looking at it as minimum three could be even as much as five difference between the two of them. I know there is a legitimate calculation, but I just kind of ballpark it with my eyeball. Um, I think this was a really, really strong performance from this racehorse. And now you can see this is the Daily Racing Forms Formulator product uh, based on the buyer speed figure earned. It's going to look like a pretty dramatic step back from that Belmont Stakes for essential quality, only earning the 98 buyer. And I say only, kind of tongue in cheek, still a pretty damn good speed figure for a three-year-old this time of year. But when you factor in the ground loss, I think that number is probably closer to the 103 range 104 range. No, maybe it's not the Belmont stakes, but it's still a very fast race. I think this sets him up beautifully for the Travers. He's just a champion. That's what he is. He's a champion through and through. Um, we'll find out if he wins champion three-year-old, but he's shown, I think, the, the metal and the heart and the tenacity of a champion uh, all throughout his career. Um, I'm, I'm becoming more and more impressed with this horse every time he runs. Not that I've never you know, looked at him and thought he was, you know, sort of an afterthought. I'm just really, I, I'm really impressed by him. I, I think he's a, a he's going to be one that I'll be curious to see what the rest of his career looks like. I'd be surprised if he went on past three, but that's just speculating. But let's just say he, he collects all the races we think he could or can possibly. Um, I, I would venture a guess to say that his three-year-old campaign will stack up very favorably with some of the better three-year-olds that we have seen over the past five to 10 years. He's got to do it still, but I have no reason to think that he won't at this point. Keep me in mind, I need to give him some benefit of the doubt because again, I, I've never really been that high on this horse. Thought he ran really well here and you'll note that he's paired up by our speed figure tops of 97 in each of his past two. Um, I don't think he's as good as the central quality is, but that doesn't mean that he can't get a piece of a race like the Travers at what should be, I think, a squarish number, depending on who shows up there. So all in all, the reason I talk about this race from a Breeders' Cup standpoint, essential quality, I've made him my number one on the Breeders' Cup classic top 10 ratings. Um, I believe Maxfield is still technically number one, but we'll find out how that all shakes down with this upcoming weekend's Whitney up at Saratoga, where Maxfield is supposed to go on against Swiss Skydiver. But to me, essential quality, but the upside he still potentially could show. And if you, if you get a forward move out of him, boy, he's going to be dangerous. I think essential quality is the goods. I thought this was a very, very strong performance. Winning the Jim Dandy, despite the fact that the final margin was, was a mere half length and he only earned a 98 buyer, uh, I think the race is considerably better than what the sort of paper would make it look. Let me know your thoughts about this race on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt, or preferably beneath the video player on YouTube. Now, on to the sprinters.
Sprinters at Saratoga on Saturday and Sunday and Sprinters at Del Mar on Saturday. Let's start with the grade one at the spa. This was the Vanderbilt. And again, you can find this over on the Naira YouTube channel. Uh, the big upset from Lexitonian. Lexitonian has been known to pull off a shocker or two in his past. 22 flat for the opening quarter. You're going to see he's down on the inside right now on the far outside is Special Reserve, the horse that I loved. I thought this race was tailor-made for him. Meanwhile, Mischievous Alex is chasing to no avail. He's going to pack it in badly. You're going to see a, a move from Whitmore, but at this point, he's so far back. He's just going to have no chance to really, truly have a, a threat of winning this thing. And we'll get into that in a moment when I show you the chart for this race. If you remember back to last week, what we talked about with the profile at the six-ish furlong distance on the main track at Saratoga. Nonetheless, we continue on. These two horses are going to really duke it out at the, from the top of the lane all the way down to the wire. And at this point right now, I'm counting my money. 44-2 and two for the half. Special Reserve is going to change leads right now. And then it's over. We're, gonna, we're just going to go on for fun. And instead, Lexitonian, just the, the war horse that he is, He's got that never say quit kind of mentality. He digs back in on the inside and rallies back by him. Now, the other thing that's so impressive to me about this is there's an argument to be made that Lexitonian's best distance is seven, not six. And I think that's part of the reason Jose Lascano was so aggressive with him early on. You don't have to worry about totally burning him out early because you know he's got the bottom where some of the other horses if you're afraid of a six furlong distance, let's just use it as the example. Let's say you've got a horse that's really a five and a half furlong specialist six. Maybe we're going to push it, but your game is speed. There's going to be that party that's concerned about if I use too much early, am I going to be done down the lane? Well, Lexitonian is the opposite, where if he has the ability to stay within range, if not outright on the lead or contesting it like he was on Saturday, you're not afraid that you're not going to have anything left. Heck, he wants to go longer. So I thought it was a great ride from Lescano. And there's nothing Joel Rosario could have done differently, I don't think, with special reserve. It was a perfect trip. It was the candy of all candy trips, and he just did not go by. It you know, it was super disappointing for me. But going back to what I had mentioned, do you remember last week? Those of you who, who may have missed the show, go on back and listen to it. We talked about the track profile at Saratoga. And the thing that stuck out, there were a few things that we could have perhaps used to our advantage. And looking at the way races are run at certain distances and configurations on certain tracks, and, well, how are they won? And there hadn't been enough of a sample for some of them, but there was certainly enough of a sample for the way that I had positioned races on the main track, six furlongs and shorter. You needed to be up pushing the pace to legitimately have a chance to win. And no surprise, your top two were one, two the entire way. Whitmore should get a little extra credit for rallying the way that he did from off of it. And I think this will set him up nicely for the seven, eights forego, which he's won in the past. But Lexitonian and Special Reserve, uh, whether it was a concerted effort, whether the connections all knew it, whether the jockeys all knew it. Knowing these two jockeys, I'm sure they were aware that, you know what, we got to be forward if we're really going to have a chance. And knowing the folks involved from a training standpoint, Jack Sisterson and Mike Maker, I'm sure they're aware of it. You know what? Push, 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 be forward. And as I've said a number of times, I would rather lose 
using my best asset than taking a horse out of its element and trying to make it do something different. At least this way, with a horse like Special Reserve. Yeah, I'm disappointed, but it's not because, you know, things didn't work the way that I had envisioned them working out. It was exactly the trip that I had hoped for. Up there, pressing the pace, three path in the clear. Nothing else you could ask for at the top of the lane. He just got turned away by a really, really tenacious, stubborn, ornery horse in Lexitonian. Lexitonian blows up the tote board, $70 to win. And he becomes, he's a fascinating piece of a division that is about as clear as mud right now. The older sprinters. We will encapsulate the sprint division as a whole momentarily at the end. But for right now, we're focusing on the older horses with the Vanderbilt, and we're going to transition to the Bing Crosby momentarily. It's about as clear as mud. No one is taking control of the division. And every time you see them show up, something different happens. And typically when that is the case, it's an indicator that it's not a very good group. These two horses ran very fast races. 102 and 100 buyer speed figures. Those, in theory, would probably put them right there among the, the upper echelon. But with the inconsistent nature of a horse like Lexitonian and Special Reserve, as good as this race was, I'm not going to lie to you and, and, and say that I wasn't bothered that he didn't go by. I think if you're going to be a proper grade one Breeders' Cup sprint type, that's a race you have to win. And he didn't do it. And maybe that's a little unkind because he did run arguably the best race he's ever run, or, you know, the, his last three have been exceptional runs, but I'm looking at it thinking, if you're a Breeders' Cup type, you win that race. I shouldn't say Breeders' Cup type, a Breeders' Cup win candidate. You, you win that race and he just didn't do it. So that, that bothered me a little bit. Whitmore, I still believe maybe we've lost a little bit on the fastball, but not a ton and he'll show up and he just gives you what he's got. The rest of the group, uh, I mean, it's hard for me to get super excited right now about Forenze Fire. I think he's going the wrong direction. Mischievous Alex, Pete and I talked about it on the happy hour on, on Thursday. And join us again this Thursday uh, for Horseberry Happy Hour. Just not sold on Mischievous Alex. I just, I'm not, I, I need him to prove to me against good, good company that he can do it. And he's yet to do that. So this race, interesting result. I think the top two ran well. Did they run Breeders' Cup Sprint? Winner, well, mm, not so sure. Maybe we'll get something different in the Bing Crosby. I'm thinking this going into it. I, I think vertical threat's really interesting. I, from what I've seen from his tape, I love everything about him. You've got CZ Rocket in here. You've got the wickedly fast Brickyard ride. And we pick him up as they're rounding the far turn. And you can see Dr. Shivel coming on the far outside in the red silks. And this looks like a menacing run. And he ends up prevailing. And you see CZ Rocket kind of following him in the orange silks on the far outside now. But this is a five-horse blanket in a grade one going six furlongs. Initially, I look at the race and I go, well, I'm not wowed by any of the performance visually. I mean, eight rings finished third or second, which, say what you will, eight, eight, rings, eight rings really is, is one of those instances of to, in my opinion, and maybe I'll be proven wrong, he peaked as a two-year-old. I mean, he ran his best races as a two-year-old. He really has not gotten, just, you know, he really hasn't improved from his two-year-old campaign to where we are now. So I look at the race visually, I'm going, how good could it possibly be? And then you pull up the chart 
and you see that the top three horses earn 90 buyers, law-abiding citizen, who I've loved for a long time, but by no one is mistaking him for a Breeders' Cup sprint runner. I, I still like him as a, a turf sprinter, but neither here nor there. He earns an 89. Brickyard Ride earns an 88. He was funny with his lead changes. A vertical threat was just god-awful, and I tweeted it. He clearly has shown that he can't step with, with quality horses. If he can beat up on the inferior type, so be it. But right now, anyway, there's nothing that would suggest otherwise that he can step with good horses. This, to me, underscores what I was talking about going over the Vanderbilt, in that this division right now, for the older sprinters, is clear as mud. It's just, it, it, you're taking turns beating one another. This is just a slow race. The uh, folks involved with the buyer associates, they had all of the sprint dirt races at Del Mar on Saturday using the same variant. Because my initial thought was, well, 10 and two for three quarters. I mean, it's not, that's not fast at all. Maybe it was, maybe the track slowed down for whatever reason. But then the track variant didn't change. And when you compare that to the horses who ran in the opener at Del Mar on Saturday, six furlongs, they stopped the clock in 10 and four. You look at it and you go, whoa, well, were they, you know, sort of fringe stakes types? No, these are $25,000 claimers, which have never won two. I mean, so there's really no other way to put it. I'm not trying to be mean, not to be rude, to steal a, a line from Peter Rotundo Sr. I, it's not a good race. And until any of these horses comes back to prove otherwise, it's just not a fast race. There was a part of me that wanted to look at it and say, it can't possibly be that slow because of the figures that these horses have earned prior to this race. You see Dr. Shivel in his race prior earned a 97. CZ Rocket a 94. Granted, that was going two turns, so it's kind of apples to oranges. But point being, he's faster than a 90. A 90 is the slowest he's run in probably two years. A Brickyard Ride, we know on his best day, he's a, an exceptionally fast horse. Even horses like Shooter Shoot and Quick Tempo. I mean, th this was a, a precipitous drop-off. So there's still an outside chance that this is a race that you look back on, you go, well, it wasn't as slow as maybe initially it appeared. But if you're just looking at it from the nuts and bolts of how the figures are made, this one feels pretty cut and dry. And the, the result is a slow race. I'm looking at this, I will be stunned if any of these horses do anything in the Breeders' Cup sprint. I just, I, I have a hard time seeing it. CZ Rocket, maybe, if he gets back to his best. But I thought this was a decided step back. He should have probably beat this field anyway. And he couldn't do it. And I, I just, I, I have a hard time. If somebody out there can, can explain to me or give me a different rationale as to why this is actually a good race going forward, you have five horses separated by all told, let's call it a length and a half. The, the clock was slow. It didn't look good visually. It has all the makings of a bad race. So then it makes me think, okay, well, if that group wasn't great and gutsy races from the top two at Saratoga, but by no means are they slam dunks in bigger and better races. So this division is still up for grabs. Or is it? Because then Sunday rolls around. And we go back to Naira's YouTube channel. And this performance, in my opinion, deserves to get the entire replay for those of you that are watching along. This is Jackie's Warrior winning the grade two Amsterdam at six and a half furlongs. And this just all around, to me, 
this is a horse who I was not fully all in on as a two-year-old because I was dubious about his pedigree and how far do you really want to go? And to be fair, his Breeders' Cup Juvenile was a really, really good race. It kind of gets lost in the shuffle because of what he's gone on to do. But that was a good effort. First time, two turns, he was out there, part of that wicked pace that came apart at the seams, and he didn't totally pack it in. You saw him at the beginning of the year down at Oak Lawn, disappointing effort going two turns. They get him back to one turn. To me, he is, the, he is a, an example, case in point of a horse that is a one-turn animal. And you look at him right now, he just tucked, drained the clock away and said, good night, bud. We'll see you next time. Have fun. Enjoy the rest of the run. And I know people have pointed out that this is not, at this point in the day, perhaps it was just a, a bit of a conveyor belt. Maybe so. But at the same time, I'm inclined to look at who was earning the fig and running the way that he did, never really getting out of second gear, going 43 and four to the half and winning by a country mile. This was a spectacular performance. And he's really done nothing but run spectacular races when they're at the one-turn variety. That's just what this horse does. From a speed figure standpoint, on the buyer scale, he earns a 101. But as has been the case with each of his past two runs, the time form US scale, which factors in the pace dynamics of the race, it's a dramatically faster race. It's how did you earn the fig? Well, he went exceptionally fast, and I believe this was another 130. So I have a hard time. I really like that allowance race from Saratoga a couple of weeks back where you had Witzel and you had Bo Liam throw it down, and they earned gaudy figs. I think they were in the, the mid-100 range, 105s, somewhere thereabouts. I think they're legitimately good. I think they're better than what we saw out at Del Mar, and I think they're probably on par at the very least, if not better, than what we saw in the Vanderbilt. But this horse, I'm, I'm pretty well convinced. I don't know that I need to see much more. He's going to end up getting a really nice test, I think, in the H. Allen Jerkins, assuming that's where Steve Asmussen and company point this horse. Jackie's Warriors should get a good test from Life is Good, who will be making or is scheduled to make his first start for Pletcher in that race. But just this, this horse has got that. He's got it. He's got that brilliance. Brilliance doesn't always, you, you know, that, that that's one of, the, I think, one of the most uncommon characteristics of the top flight racehorses. We have seen some really exceptional runners. And I'll just go back to at the top when we're talking about essential quality. Essential quality is one of the better three-year-olds I think we've seen in a long time. He's not brilliant. He it's going to take, you know, he, he's not going to just rip off the, the 10 length victory. That's just not him. Uh, another Brad Cox horse, but Monomoy girl. And I believe Cox has even made comparisons between the two. She's not brilliant, but she just wins whenever she races. Hopefully we get to see her again. I don't know if it'll be the Breeders' Cup or, or what, but this horse, this horse has the brilliance. And even if you want to say that the track was very kind of speed, well, how does that explain drain the clock packing it in the way that he did after he duped it out with Jackie's Warrior and the Woody Stevens last month? I just thought all around that I'm sold. I'm a believer and I'm going to really have very little interest in trying to beat him for the foreseeable future. Now, 
he's won from off the pace one time in his career. And that was in his career debut going five furlongs. Can he do it against better horses? I, I, I don't see any reason why he can't. But at the same time, does he even have to? Because he's so damn fast. Um, you're looking at the, the lifetime PPs right now. I mean, he's just, he's just a strong, strong racehorse that I, he's a, a, one of those cases where I say with relative confidence that the, the, the speed figures don't necessarily indicate how brilliant he is. I'm all in. I think he's the best sprinter in the country right now. Let me know your thoughts beneath the video player on YouTube. Jackie's Warrior, spectacular, spectacular, winning the Amsterdam at Saratoga. He is the leading light in that division. You would think the H. Allen Jerkins is next, and he deserves to be right now, in my opinion, the favorite for the Breeders' Cup sprint at Del Mar at the beginning of November. Now, speaking of Del Mar, we'll go back to Del Mar, this time for the Phillies and Mares routing, perhaps a foreshadowing of the distaff at Del Mar at the beginning of November. Clement L. Hirsch from Sunday afternoon. Clement L. Hirsch from Del Mar on Sunday. Again, the YouTube video, or the video, I should say, you can find on Del Mar's YouTube channel. Uh, only a field of five in here. She dares the devil. Ended up going off at odds of six to five in this spot. And coming in from the East Coast, the plan all along, it had been well documented, was the Connections wanted to get a run over Del Mar to find out how she'd handle it, with the Breeders' Cup being there in November. I, maybe I'm in the minority. I don't know why more connections don't do that sort of thing with horses that they are looking down the road that they have sort of an end game and end goal so specifically the pacific classic i'm going to be curious to see how many horses from the east coast go west that are legitimate thoughts anyway for the p classic and i recognize the three-year-olds they're probably not going to do that but it was one of the things that i loved that baffert would do with good two-year-olds you would see that if he thought he had a, a triple crown or specifically a derby kind of two-year-old or two B three-year-old, he wouldn't be afraid to send them out to Churchill late on as two-year-olds, as opposed to keeping them in Southern California to run in the, you know, th th their two-year-old series of races. I like to find out, can you handle the surface or not? And she dares the devil. This is clearly not an issue for her. I'm uh, going to show the break because you're going to see her. And as time goes by, they both bobble a little bit out of the gate, which, you know, certainly you can say put as, as time goes by behind the eight ball, I still think she could have been hustled a little bit more to try to clear to the front. Instead Venetian Harbor goes, she's trying to ration out that speed. I thought it was a fine ride, but you can tell she wants to go a little bit and flow. And, and she dares the devil. This is a perfect spot. I think a lot of people have just sort of, fallen into not the trap but the thought that she is a confirmed just speed and she's not she can go to the lead and as i've said in the past horses will often run their best when they go right out to the lead but at the same time she won the kentucky Oaks sitting just off and she wins this race this grade one sitting just off the pace as well you're going to see she starts to pick it up and i'll move the the tape along as we go into the far turn flow starts ratcheting up the pressure this to me is a combination of she dares the devil Loves a mile and a 16th. And Venetian Harbor, as good as she is, she's probably a one-turn filly. 
I don't know that two turns is really going to be her game in the big picture. It helps when the Baffert horse, she's got nothing at this point. Mike Smith's not going to really try to push on her too much because he knows she's not firing. But right now, we're in full flight. Flo gives her the right-hand stick, and here comes She Dares the Devil. She opens up and draws away down the lane. I thought it was a good effort. Now, those of you who are new to the show, um, again, thank you. But uh, you may not know this, but I am the She Dares the Devil uh, president or the president of her fan club. I think she's just really good, and I continue to believe she's just underappreciated and underestimated in many of these races. She wins a grade one at the venue that will be host to the distaff in November. Ticks many boxes right there. Mile and an eighth, not a problem. She won the Kentucky Oaks at a mile and an eighth. It, she was no match for Latruska, and she faded to finish third in the Ogden Phipps in her most recent start. Now, Latruska is arguably the best filly mare in training right now, and that includes Swiss Skydiver, who we're going to see on Saturday in the Whitney, or supposed to anyway. But there is a part of me, and I had mentioned it, and I picked She Dares the Devil in, in the Ogden Phipps, but I, you got to keep in mind, that's a one-turn race. She didn't have to love that. Some horses can take to it, and others don't. Not as an excuse. She wasn't that good that day. I thought it was a, a pretty subpar performance. This race, we still don't have a speed figure just yet for it, but I'm going to look at it based on what she's done in the past and based on some of the figs that the other girls have earned in some of their races. I'm going to guess this is probably a triple-digit buyer, right around 100, maybe not quite to her career best, but that would then put Venetian Harbor in that sort of low 90-ish range, which I think is reasonable, considering she probably do not want to go that far. Uh, and Paige Ann, that'd probably put her in that kind of low to mid 80 range, which again, seems to make all the sense in the world. This is me just ballparking things. But the big picture for me going forward, for the Phillies and mares that are scheduled or planning on running in the Breeders' Cup, specifically the Distaff, how many of them are going to have had a run at Del Mar and have proven themselves that they're proven to others anyway, handicappers, those of us that are going to be gambling on the events, that they can handle it. It's a short list. She dares the devil is one of them, though. We'll find out. I, I'm not going to argue with folks that still don't, don't want to believe. That's entirely your prerogative. It's, that's why we handicap. It's the beauty of the game. She, to me, has really done very little wrong in her career. And I think she's one that if you get all of the big girls together, as I drop something, they may overlook her. And... I would just I would just caution you and say don't don't dismiss her. Don't dismiss her because she shows up and she dances and she runs. I think she's good. She there's the devil wins another grade one, continues to add to her her really impressive resume as far as her overall career is concerned. She's won the La Troyenne, she's won the Kentucky Oaks, she's won the Clement L. Hirsch. I mean, she's really won, and that's not to include the minor races that she's won, but she just shows up and dances all the dances. I think she's a legit threat in November. I really do. Be curious to see how everyone else kind of continues on and trains into this. But uh, I think her, her versatility, proven over the Del Mar strip, and from a speed figure standpoint, no, she's not the fastest horse you've ever seen. But she's, she's pretty consistent and she's pretty good. She There's the devil, gets the job done in the Clement L. Hirsch out at Del Mar. Good effort there. And again, that video over on Del Mar's YouTube channel. Now we will wrap up. The stakes recaps for the week with, by my estimation, the most intriguing 
of them all. And we got to go north of the border to Woodbine for that. Woodbine on Saturday, the most intriguing performance of the weekend, in my opinion, belongs to a two-year-old cult named One-Timer. Naturally, One-Timer had to win in Canada. Naturally. Trained by Larry Ravelli. Horse broke its maiden at Arlington Park emphatically. And we know Ravelli's horses, they're typically fast out of the gate. They're sprinters. They love synthetic. But point being, he he deserved, you know, he had reasons to take the money that he did. He was bet down to three to five in this spot. First time going to a different racetrack. First time taking on winners, X, Y, and Z. We're going to run the whole tape. Because I think this horse, the performance... I think was really exceptional. And then you look at the pedigree and there might actually be reason to get a little, little excited. There might be something here. You see, he's being pushed on right now. He didn't just immediately clear to the front, but at this point he finds his stride and he's just going to outfoot this horse field beat. Who's just to the outside. And again, this is from the Woodbine YouTube channel. You can find all of their stakes action over there and actually all of their races over there. But one timer is rolling on the front end right now, 22 flat for the opening quarter over the Tapita at Woodbine. That's a legitimate fraction. He's going to continue on. I think the thing that I like the most, he basically does it on his own. He's going to put away the other pace and do this rather comfortably, I feel like. Turns for home right now, top of the lane. The race is over. It's a matter of how far. He changes leads on cue, and he's – I love the stride. I love the way that this horse moves. He's just fluid, and for a two-year-old right now who is still light on experience, only raced twice, first time at a new venue, to do what he did, I thought was really impressive. So then you look at the figs. You see he wins by almost four lengths. Stops the clock in 103 and two. Okay, well, what does all that mean? He earned an 80 in his career debut. He backs it up with another 80 buyer speed figure. So he has paired up 80s to kick off his career as a two-year-old in July. And his first start came in June. Very promising. Then you go a little bit farther. You take a look at his overall pedigree. Now, oh, and by the way, he's a gelding. He's not a, he's not a colt. He's a gelding. He's by Trap Shot. Now, Trap Shot, we know, was at his best sort of in that mile-ish configuration, one turn probably. But, you know, I believe he ran in the Travers. He might have actually even been favored in the Travers a number of years ago. And you see the, the dam side. You see Blame, a little bit of a stamina influence, you would think. Damn Spanish star, uh, I don't believe ever raced. Kind of hard to really get a grasp of. The interesting thing there, though, Spanish star is out of a mare called La Grand Bailadora. And she produced a horse called Sir Winston, who won the Belmont Stakes a couple of years ago. So there's, I think there's reason to believe, and I didn't even show the best part. We'll go back to the tape. And I hope they show it all. I hope they do. I hope they do. The rider, E.T. Baird, can't get the horse pulled up. He keeps going. He's just going to keep going. And you're going to see, as, as long as it's all shown on here, maybe they'll stop it at some point. He's He wants to keep going. This horse is full of himself right now. I think he's sneaky. And I, I would almost be disappointed. And it's easy for me to say this. I am not involved with the horse. I don't know anyone involved with the horse. I would be disappointed if he wasn't at Saratoga for the hopeful. You got to find out, don't you? If a horse this fast 
at this point in his career who looks like he'll run at the very least seven eighths of a mile. Then you have to find out if he can handle dirt. And to back that up, you try it. It's early enough. If it doesn't work, no harm, no foul. You point to the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint, which we've talked about. The synthetic, especially the Tapita, I think is a little bit closer to turf than it is dirt. I just, I think this horse is really interesting. And that's why I, I brought this up specifically talking about potential Breeders' Cup ramifications, because I think this is the kind of horse that, well, first things first, you got to find out if you can handle dirt, at least in my opinion. I would be disappointed if they didn't. I would go to the hopeful, assuming it came out of the race in good order. I'd go to the hopeful, find out if he can handle dirt, even if he doesn't win, but he shows that the main track's not an issue for him. Well, now, now, you know, the world's your oyster. You can do whatever you want with it. If the dirt doesn't work, you still have plenty of time to reroute and say, okay, we, we found out that that's not going to be his game. Based on the pedigree, I don't see why it would be an issue. But the point is, if it doesn't work, you can always go back or go to the turf or point to that race. And he could be a legitimate threat, I think, to some of the ward horses or any of the Europeans coming over. The speed that he's got and the way that he moves – I just think he's really professional at this point in his career. He has earned fast figs, and it looks like he would go and do whatever you want with him. So one-timer might be a horse that you want to keep an eye on and see where he's going to go going forward. Personally, I would go to Saratoga and run in the hopeful. I know Witt's going to be there. I know some other exciting two-year-olds will be there. I got to find out because I think I got a pretty damn exciting two-year-old. If I'm involved with this one, I got to find out. And Ravelli's gone to Saratoga in the past, so it's not like that's not a, you know, that's not something that, that would be out of the realm of possibility. I would go to the hopeful. If that doesn't work, then we just kind of move, move the sights and we say, okay, dirt didn't work. We're going to go on to the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint. Or if you want to try to find a two-turn race for him, and you could even think about the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf, uh, because I, I don't believe the distance is going to be an issue for him. Based on the way he's moved and that little piece of the pedigree that I laid out, I don't think a mile will be a problem for him, but I'll be curious to, to see what the connections see. They're going to do what's right for the horse and put him really where he's most suited to succeed. Um, but I, I would be, yeah, I mean, I've said it five times already. I'd be disappointed if his next start was not on dirt at Saratoga in a race like the hopeful one timer wins the Victoria at Woodbine, but you didn't think we'd be talking about that race on this week's show. Let me know your thoughts about any of the races that have been discussed here or any races that I haven't gone over beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. And I will get to them next week. There it is. Questions, comments, concerns beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. However you listen to this thing, thank you for doing so. Uh, audio only, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com, just to name a few. If you're someone who likes to watch along, you can head on over to YouTube, search bar Matt Burney or show. You get this episode along with the 75 prior. Horseplayer Happy Hour coming up again on Thursday. Join myself and PTF. We'll be having some fun talking about Saratoga uh, and getting ready for the big weekend up at the spa. The grade one Whitney should go a long way into kind of shaping what uh, many people think of that older division. Uh, and it sounds like we're going to get that big showdown between Maxfield and Swiss Skydiver, just to name two of the combatants 
going at it head to head in that battle. So looking forward to that race. Uh, again, thank you so much for getting involved and supporting the show and supporting everything that in the money media has to offer. We always really appreciate it. And we are always curious to hear what people want more of, less of, what their thoughts are just in general. And as always, please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, until next Monday, this has been episode 76, episode, 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 episode 76 of the Matt Bernier Show. Best of luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play.